You're listening to episode 65. Warning. Warning. Religious people may get offended. Listening discretion is advised. Go to MyGraceNation.com for safe listening instructions. What's up, Grace Nation? After the big blow, Hurricane Irma, Grace on Fire continues to burn. This is Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. And hello, everybody. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, and I am your virtual pastor in the aftermath of Hurricane Irma. Kicking up a brand new theme song, went on Audio Jungle this week and just had to do a little downloads to freshen things up. Hope you're enjoying that. I'm super excited. Let's just listen to it for a second. Yeah. It's just awesome. I love that. I love indie folk rock music. It's just, just, it's just my age, man. It's just where I am. This is where I am. You know, tonight I'm taking my, my beautiful wife to see a concert. Uh, taking them to see the Mumford and Sons. It's here in Orlando. Super, super stoked about this. And uh, I highly recommend that you treat your wife to amazing trips. She loves Mumford and Sons. Now, listen, if uh, you don't like them and there's like bad lyrics or something, please don't email me about that, okay? I, I, I get it, all right? They're not the most perfect thing in the world, but I do, do love their style. Anyways, hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to this show. Great to be here on the show with you. And yes, like I said at the very beginning of the intro, Hurricane Irma blew through the area, and I've learned so much. And that's actually going to be the topic of the show today, how a major hurricane led to an extraordinary opportunity. So that's the hook for you today to listen to it because I have learned so much in the last three weeks about hurricane preparation. Now, listen, I'm not going to bore you with the details of like, you need to go out and buy yourself some batteries. Let me just tell you something right now. I was joking with my wife and, you know, things got kind of real silly. They just kind of got real silly around Central Florida. And so, you know, I'm an old Southern cracker. And so, you know, as a cracker, I love to, you know, put on my cracker voice. And so this is what I said. I said, you know, I wanted to create a video and it was going to be like uh, the crackers, you know, survival guide to a hurricane. And this is what I was going to do. I was going to say this. I was going to say, hey, everybody, let me tell you something, what you need to get. All right. What you need in order to survive a major hurricane is you need, you basically need three to four things. The number one thing you need is is you need yourself a can of propane, all right? Propane is the all-essential survival thing that you can have. You don't want charcoal. You don't want anything else because propane, I'm just telling you right now, my cousin, my cousin Danny, he's got a propane tank, and that sucker never goes out. So number one is propane. Number two is you need to get yourselves some Vienna sausages and some some beans, like some, you know, whatever you got. I'm telling you, you can make some amazing meals with Vienna sausages, and so I, I highly recommend that. Number three, you need to get some shotgun shells because you don't know. Now, I recommend you get slugs and some shot because you never know what suckers are going to be coming after your trailer regardless of what it be because sometimes what happen is, you know, folk come up on your show. They come up on not your show but your house and they're going to want to take some of your stuff because for whatever reason, when storms blow through, they seem to think that everybody's stuff's up for, for grabs. 
I don't know why that is. So those are at least the three things. And the fourth thing, I can't even remember, but it's something that is my importance. So I just put it up there on the Facebook. Anyways, my wife would not uh, let me do that. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, those were Smitty's Crackers, four things of survival guide. And um, anyways, I didn't do it, but I really wanted to do it. So there you go. That's Smitty's survival guide for the hurricane. But regardless of all that nonsense, I'm going to be talking to you about a couple of things that just sort of the experience of having lived through a hurricane in kind of what we went through here uh, at my house. So we're talking about that today. And uh, like I said, I'm constantly tweaking the show to improve on the quality. So I hope you like that. We're going to be doing some other things. I've got a brand new segment that I'm going to roll out with you. It's my all new barbecue segment. I've been wanting to do this uh, for quite a while. So I finally got my music for my barbecue. Going to go a little cracker on you for that. Also, we've got some street theology and we're going to get into the feature presentation. But before I do all that, before I do all that, I want to plead with you. Actually, plead is the wrong word. Let me just beg you to do something. Would you do me a favor would you go to mygracenation.com and would you sign up for my newsletter here's the reason why there is constantly good things that are happening here on the show and i want to stay in touch with you so if you don't mind sharing your email with me there's just lots of cool things that i can think of that i think of during the week i said ah i want to get this out and then sometimes i forget so one of the great ways to stay connected is the vis-a-vis the grace the grace nation newsletter so go to mygracenation.com there's no free giveaways or anything like that. It's just pure Smitty going forward, but uh, trying to ramp up the website. Would love to hear your feedback, by the way, as to whether or not you like that. Anyways, let's get into the show today, getting up on the street with some street theology. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And we're going to get right into some street theology on the street. Now, listen, I've been talking about this uh, this year, and I said that at the very beginning of the year, that this entire uh, season, season two, is really going to be dedicated to the Christian life. And what does it mean to be a Christian, how to live our lives, and how do we do that in this crazy world that we live in? And, and honestly, it's hard. I, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's hard. And it's so hard, and the reason why I think it's hard, it's because sometimes I think as Christians that uh, we have way too much religion in us, and we don't have enough gospel. And so that's one of my passions, is to extract out the religion from people and to instill in them this understanding of this amazing gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that, um, you know, part, well, let me just back up. We've been talking about the role of transformation, and what we've been talking about it is through the lens of personal development. And that is, how do you improve yourself uh, on a day-by-day basis? Now, this is something that I've said before, and I'm going to say it again. I truly believe that there is a biblical mandate by God in order for you to to develop. In other words, what I'm saying here is this, is that we should be able to look at the trajectory of your life and somehow see some kind of improvement. Now, I know, now listen, I know that that sets people up for certain kinds of failures. And what I don't want to do, and by the way, this would totally negate grace, 
is if you set up the rules and the standards and uh, and then I, in other words, proscriptive, I, I prescribed uh, to you or described to you what those should be and then say, if you don't do this, then somehow, you know, you're not making the grade or you're not making the cut. That would be wrong for me to do. But what you do find in the New Testament is this constant emphasis on becoming Christ-like. And so the question that I have for you today is where is all of this taking place? And what's remarkable to me as I've been preaching through the book of Romans at, at Redeemer, as I've been preaching through it, I came across Douglas Moo's commentary on Romans. And by the way, I'm stoked about that commentary. If you want just to go deep into the gospel and to read a New Testament scholar who I think is is really grasping hold of the text in a very thoughtful and profound way. I mean, it's like 900 pages, by the way. So this is this is not some book that you just pick up and read on the toilet um, while you're going to the bathroom. But no, it, it's it's a, it's a thoughtful book. It's a it's heavy reading, but it's but it's it's done and written in such a way that I think the average layperson can read it. So that means you and me, because I'm definitely a layperson, even though I have all these degrees. I don't know what the heck that's about. So anyway, so I, I like Doug Moo's commentary on Romans, and, and he writes some pretty incredible things, and we're going to get into that today. But the very first thing I want to do is I want to read you the text that we're looking at, okay? So Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, I appeal to you, that's Paul saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I'm going to tell you in other places in Paul, Paul tells you that the will of God is to ultimately lead towards holiness. Now, holiness is not that song. You know what I'm talking about, that song. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. No, you you know what you need? You need to get a life. That's what you need. Um, I remember singing that song as a young man, 20-some years 25 years ago and and you know and it was like this sort of existential thing that if you just gave me holiness um then i would somehow be better no that's not what we're talking about here okay we're talking about what paul talks about here in verse two and he says it and he puts this comparison together and he puts this comparison in such a way that i think is remarkable he puts the words conformed and transformed and he juxtaposes those two together. Now, I want to just pause here for just a moment and say this much, okay? What we're doing is we're taking the English words conformed and transformed, and we're comparing that. Those are not the Greek words that Paul uses here. Uh, you can go do some word studies on that on your own. But I just simply think that these two words are important because of what they're talking about. They're talking about a process, and it's the process that occurs in your life that we have to be concerned about. It's the process in your life of how you are interacting with God, interacting with yourself, and interacting with other people. That process that takes place is that we're hopefully seeing you move towards a place where you're becoming more and more 
like Christ. And I got to tell you that this implied in Paul's words here is a an imperative, but it's a plea. It's an, a plea. Listen to what he says in verse one. I appeal. He doesn't say this is what you do. In other words, he's not he's not taking an authoritative position, but rather what he's doing is he's taking an influential perspective. In other words, what Paul's trying to do here in Romans chapter 1, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is he's saying to you, I want to appeal to you. I want to influence you by what? The mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? By God's grace to do what? To present what? Your bodies. Ah, really? Bodies? Jeez, Paul, I was just kind of hoping to present my money and my time, you know, what I was doing on Sunday morning. You know, I'll give you about an hour and a half. Hopefully the preacher doesn't preach too long because, you know, well, it's okay because I've got my iPhone and um, if he starts getting real boring, I'll just check my, um, you know, I'll just check my uh, uh, my football scores and just make sure that um, my fantasy football team is okay. And, um, you know, and if it gets really bad, then I go on Facebook or something like that. You know, Just just an hour, Lord. That's all, that's all I'm talking about. No, that's not what he's talking about here, right? No, he's talking about getting getting serious with your bodies. That is, he's putting the claim on your entire person. And that is, is that he's talking about what? As a living sacrifice. Oh, wait, what, I mean, what is this living sacrifice? Well, you got to remember something, okay? As Christians, we no longer live in such a way where we have to offer up sacrifices to God to appease him. No, we don't do that. Because why? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So what is he actually saying here? Well, he's talking about it as a living sacrifice, that is our lives themselves become an offering to God. Now, I'm, I'm watching, you know, this in, incredible, um, I'm watching this series on Netflix, and it, it, it's about the conflict between Saxons and and Danes, and this is it's taking place with Alfred the Great, and uh, it's a remarkable, remarkable series. And and I'll put the I'll put the show on uh, the face notes here, or the uh, excuse me, the the show notes. You can go in there and take a look at that. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because one of the things it does is it creates this juxtaposition between Christian culture and and which was Saxon culture versus Danish culture. And what what I what's amazing to me is that this the difference between paganism and Christianity. And the problem is that I have with the show is that they depict Christians essentially as prudes and gossips. And um and and I don't and there's parts of it where I'm looking at I'm like, that's really not biblical Christianity. This is just an interpretation of Christianity. Nowhere, by the way, do they ever mention the word Jesus or they talk about Jesus in terms of a relationship with him. It's all done in this sort of medieval, um, you know, uh, cast. And, and, and it's obviously they've taken a number of what I would call um, uh, excesses with interpreting Christian culture. So, you know, the reason why I go off and talk about this, though, is because I think that sometimes we get the wrong impression about what it means to be a Christian. And so, he actually tells us where the work is to be done. And notice what he says in verse 2. He says that it's, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To do what? To test and to discern so that you learn the will of God. And what is the will of God? It's to become like Christ. Now, there is a ministry, and I will not mention this ministry, but you know, renewing the mind is sort of the hallmark. And if you listen to their show and the presentation of the show, um, and they're a very, very popular ministry. And and I just I don't even want to talk about who they are exactly. But when you listen to them, they always talk about the renewing of the mind, that what I hear them talk about most of the time is academics. And I'm not really sure that academics is what is in mind here. That rather what I see is in mind here is really the concern for your character, all right, for the person that you're becoming. And so I think that this is important to recognize that Romans 12 here is not necessarily talking about academic development, all right, or theoretical development, but it's ultimately talking about the kind of person that you're becoming. And that's what I think is in mind here. Because as you read the rest of Paul, Paul doesn't go on and begin to tell you that you need to learn all of the the incredible arguments and you need to learn all of the uh, major apologetics, etc. What he goes on talking about is how you should treat one another, how you should um, uh, react in the government, how you should respond in stressful situations. It all has to do with your person and, and how you're relating to the world. What's remarkable about this too, let me just give you one other observation. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, which is sort of the hallmark of sin, you know, which is everything that's screwed up, he says in Romans 1, verses 21, he talks about it this way. He says this. He says uh, that they became foolish in their thinking. In other words, that what happens was, is that when mankind rebelled against God, all right, the result was that their thinking became negatively impacted. And I've talked about this um, in recently at, Re- in, at Redeemer as I preach on this passage. And what had occurred to me was this, is that as in Romans chapter 1, as Paul lays out how um, the foolishness of the, the rebellion of mankind led to foolish thinking, and that foolish thinking led to a darkened heart, and that a darkened heart led to all kinds of sin, that what Jesus, or excuse me, that what Paul essentially does is that he reverses it in Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 12. And what he essentially says is that now that we've been declared righteous by God because we believe in Jesus and that all of our sins have been washed away, that now that the work of the Holy Spirit does something, this is what uh, Douglas Moo writes. He says this, he says, the gospel unleashes God's power so that people, by embracing it, can be rescued from the disastrous effects of sin, being pronounced righteous in God's sight, and having a secure hope for salvation. Listen to this again, because I think it's remarkable. The gospel unleashes God's power so that people, by embracing it, can be rescued from the disastrous effects of sin, being pronounced righteous in God's sight, and having a secure hope for salvation. So what are we talking about here, the role of transformation in the Christian life? Ultimately, what I'll tell you is this. The role of transformation is essential to the Christian life. 
It's essential. It's, it's not cursory. It's not periphery. It's an expectation. And I think that this is the problem, particularly, you know, as a pastor, and one of the things that I get real grumpy about, so you want to know what, 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 grump, what grumpy Pastor Smitty, um, you know, gets upset about? It's when Christians are mean as hell. That just drives me crazy. And I see it over and over and over again, and we have to confront it because we're not allowed. We're not just give license to go off and do whatever we want to say and do and say everything we, 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 we care and just hurt anybody. Because we're representatives, we're ambassadors of God. And there is going to come a day in our lives when we are held accountable for the things that we say. Not because God is going to judge us so much, but in terms of opportunities lost. And that is the thing that I think that I fear most, is where have I missed opportunities to bring God's gospel into a situation? So, the role of transformation it's not cursory, it's not periphery, it's an expectation, and I absolutely believe that it's central to our life, and it begins with the concept of renewing your mind. And that brings me to another segment here, a brand new segment. We're talking barbecue and fellowship here today on Grace Nation. And yes, a little bit of a translation, uh, transition here, folks. Listen, you know, one of the things that I have learned about living the gospel-centered life is the power of food. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the power of fellowship, okay? So, if you're supposed to bring gospel into a world, right, and you're supposed to have this transformed life, one of the things that I highly recommend is that you don't become prudish in what you do, all right? So, one of the things that I've begun doing, and, and, I, and this has just become a real passion of mine, and that is just to make killer barbecue, killer barbecue, Florida barbecue, not Georgia barbecue, not Texas barbecue, not North Carolina barbecue. I'm talking about cracker barbecue, Florida barbecue. And Florida barbecue essentially uses oak wood and specializes in, in hogs. But we're not even talk about those two things today. Because what I want to do is it, it might actually surprise you that I would talk about barbecue on a show called Grace Nation, right? On Grace on Fire. And I gotta tell you what's kind of motivating this thought. First of all, I have learned so much the power of cooking for others. In fact, you know, Jesus modeled this for us. He actually modeled this in uh, John. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he comes back and he appears for 40 days and he makes all these different appearances. So Jesus is like showing up in all these different places. And one of the things that he did which is surprising, was that he was on the shore of Galilee when Peter, James, and John said, you know what? You know, they hadn't seen Jesus yet. Jesus is like, you know, what am I going to do? Jesus is gone. Uh, he's not in the tomb anymore. I don't know what to do. What do you want to do? Let's go fishing. So, I mean, they were total rednecks. Um, that's what I would have done. I would have gone fishing too. Like, hey, bro, what you want to do, man? Well, I don't know what to do. Let's just go fishing, man. So, we go wet some lines. So, they went out fishing, right? So, they're out fishing. They're out fishing all day. And Jesus is like, hey, dudes, what's, hey, did you catch anything? And they're like, no, no, no. They say, well, you throw your nets on the other side. And then they start hauling in this big load, right? And meanwhile, Peter looks at him and he's like, oh, that's Jesus. That's the guy. That's Jesus. So he jumps out. He's probably naked at this point. Jumps out and he's running at Jesus. And what has Jesus done? He's built a fire, a charcoal fire, it says. 
and he's got fish on there, and he's cooking fish. Why does Jesus cook fish? Have you thought about this? Whenever you look at Jesus and his disciples, very often the ministry of Jesus was centered around food. You know, he feeds 5,000. You know, he, he's, he's having dinner with tax collectors. Uh, and, and there was just a lot of different places and times in the life and ministry of Jesus that were centered around meals. And I think that in our culture today, particularly a fast food culture, that we have lost the power of meals, of eating together. In fact, uh, you know, I, I actually heard a statistic one time that said it was just a simple thing. They said, you know, families that have dinner together once an evening are less likely to have problems than families that do not. In other words, that, that, that the bond of coming together and just eating as a family does something to reinforce the family structures you know, within a given household. And so the reason why I'm bringing this to you is to talk about the role of food in your faith, but also the role of food in terms of using it as a tool to bring the gospel. And and I really I got to tell you this 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 fact this fact actually plays itself out in many ways. Um when I was a salesman, what I would do, uh, I would go bring I, I was a salesman, I was an outside salesman and I was a pharmaceutical rep. Yes, I was a drug rep. And I would show up with my drugs in my bag and I'd knock on the, you know, physicians doors. And one of the things that we did all the time was that we brought lunch in for the staff. And through the process of sitting down, feeding the staff, and sitting down with physicians, one of the things that we were able to do was we were able to have conversations. And bar none, I made more sales sitting around a meal with physicians than I ever did uh, talking with them without a meal. And what's what's with that? I mean, you've ever stopped and thought about that? What is the what is just sitting down and having coffee? What is it about food itself, the food, the intimacy of eating and sharing and talking, that leads people to more intimacy? And and I have to say that this is something that's central even to our faith. So, for example, at my church, we take communion every week, and the process of drinking wine and eating bread, just the process of meal itself, it, 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 it shows you that there's something very powerful in the intimacy of eating together. So I think that we have to look at this and realize that there is a, a very, very powerful thing that is often missed when we neglect this particular aspect. So, so I'm going to give you a recipe today on Barbecue Blues. Now, I got to tell you this. Well, I think I've said this before in my podcast, but I'm gonna say it again though. I've always said that like one of my uh, little pet dreams, and, and I don't know if I'll ever do this, but one of my pet dreams is to have a is to participate in a barbecue competition. That is to cook for uh, in a competition, and, it would, and to win it would even be more awesome. But I'm just not there yet. Um, but one day I will be, and so and on my way there, I'm gonna share with you my recipe today for smoked salmon. Now, one of the things I love to do for people is I love to smoke salmon. Because when you think about barbecue, sometimes you think about um, brisket, you think about ribs, you think about um, pulled pork, you know, chicken, 
Um, up in Kentucky, they like to smoke lamb. I've never smoked lamb personally, um, but you know those are the those are the typical things that uh, you hear people that smoke. You know, smoke barbecue or make barbecue. Those are the typical fares that you find, right? Um, but when you start talking about fish, that's a different thing. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll smoke a, 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 a nice big salmon filet, uh, the whole filet, and uh, I'll, I'll present it. And then people start tasting it. They're like, wow, man, this is awesome. What is this? And um, and I'll, I'll just tell you, it, it's been a huge hit. My son, uh, who is totally picky, he loves this stuff. He loves this stuff. So this is my smoked salmon recipe. Are you ready for this? Okay, here's what you need. First of all, let's just talk about the salmon itself. One of the things I like to use is I like to use uh, farm-raised Atlantic salmon. Now, you, if you're a purist and you will say, well, I only like to use wild salmon, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, wild salmon, uh, there's different varieties of salmon out there. I find that the North Atlantic uh, farm-raised salmon has the most mild texture, and um, it seems to do best on my smoker, and it just brings out a wonderful flavor. But there are different kinds of salmon and you need to be aware of what they are. So you just go out there and you buy any kind of filet, um, chances are it may not turn out well. So I like uh, farm-raised Atlantic salmon, and I like it without the skin. Uh, I go to Costco, and I buy their big salmon fillets, and that's what I use. You can go to the grocery store. But one of the things I recommend is that you get it without the skin on, because if you, uh, if you use it with skin, uh, the second part of this uh, it starts to get corrupted. I, I have done both. And uh, frankly, I like it without the the um, the skin. But I gotta tell you, if you do it the way I'm gonna tell you, uh, you get a pretty nice presentation with the skin on. So I leave it totally up to you. Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter because the second part is more important, and that is the brine. Now, what is a brine? A brine is simply a salt water mix. All right, that's all a brine is. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna take that fish. You're going to immerse it into the salt water and you're going to leave it there probably for 12 to 14 to 16 hours. All right. It's critical that you leave it in there for a good while. Um, I know this person who uh, who tries to brine their fish with like two hours and it never works. It just doesn't work. And the reason is, is that the brine is going to have do a chemical reaction in that salmon it's actually going to pull out some of the moisture and it's going to cure that fish. And that's what's so important. You got to cure this fish because remember something, you're going to be cooking this at low heat. And so you don't want to have raw fish that could have potentially bacteria in it. You want to kill all that just through the curing process. Okay. So that's critical. So how do you make the brine? I like to use a half to one gallon of water. And this is what I'll tell you. I use one part salt and one part brown sugar. Now, you can use just salt, all right? And it's about a cup of salt. And I like to use uh, kosher salt. You can also use um, uh, you can use sea salt, but stay away from table salt, like the iodized. It, it, that doesn't work either. I don't know why. I don't know all the differences between the different salts, but I like to use kosher salt or I like to use sea salt. Those have been the best for me. And I like to use brown sugar. And the reason why I use brown sugar is because I like a little bit of a sweetness. Now, don't worry. The fish is not going to taste sweet. But what it's going to do, that brown sugar is just going to be enough on there that it's going to give this really nice 
caramelized color on the outside. And that's going to tell you when this thing is done. All right. And so you get a nice caramelized color that starts to form. And I'm going to tell you, when you do this right, it is just, it, it just looks awesome. It just looks awesome. So half a gallon to a gallon of water, you mix in one part salt, which is about a cup, and, a part, and one part brown sugar. So it's a one-to-one -one ratio. That's critical. That's what you're looking for. I've also used, in the past, I've used a turkey brine. I found uh, a package of of uh of salts and uh i found a package of of different kinds of well this is what a turkey brine was it had different kind of seasonings in it uh spite uh herbs etc then the salt it didn't have sugar in it and then it had uh, a few other things i don't even remember um and i used that for a while the problem was i noticed that whenever i added anything other than sugar and water to my brine that the fish did not last as long in the refrigerator. The spices had a tendency to kind of get messed with the flavor. It was delicious when it first came out. Uh, so if you're going to consume the whole thing the day of, it doesn't matter. But if you're going to stick it in for a longer than a day or two days, and sometimes, you know, this salmon, because it's cured and smug, it lasts a week uh, at least. Um, but because of the spices, it messes up the flavor. So I don't like to do that. So this is why I uh, tend to use just brown sugar and water. And I like to use the dark brown sugar. I will also tell you that one of my secret recipes is I'll add in uh, half a cup to maybe three quarters of a cup of cane syrup. Now, cane syrup is about the most amazing stuff on the whole planet. I love cane syrup. And uh, you can't find it uh, in very many places, so your grocery store may not have it. Um, but there's a couple places that I can get it. I think you can still get it online, um, but we'll see. So anyway, so I mix all that together, and then I, I stir in the salt, I stir in the sugar, and I make sure, and you're going to notice that that water is going to turn a nice brown color. I put the fish in there in a big bowl, and I seal it, and I stick that into the refrigerator, and I leave it there for about 16 hours. And then I pull that out, and then what I do is I go to my smoker. Now, I use a pellet smoker by Traeger. I love Traeger's pellet smoker. But you can but I have in the past used barrel smokers and I've just used oak wood. You can use charcoal. Whatever kind of heat you're going to use in whatever kind of smoke you're going to get. One important thing here is you got to go low and you got to go slow. All right? You want to take your time because with fish it's such a delicate delicate meat that it will cook way too fast. So you gotta be careful with it in terms of how fast you cook it. You wanna cook it slow as possible and you wanna allow that smoke to go in there and cure it. And this, by the way, is what you know Native Americans used to use um, you know, when they would preserve their meat. So they would use a smoking method. So that's, that's what I do and, and that's how I do it. So whatever you use for your smoking process, just get that temperature as low as possible. And I'm talking no more than 150 degrees maybe 180 degrees just around the fish. I mean, even at 180 degrees, um, it, it, that's a little hot. You want to get that temperature as low as possible. So anyways, I, I hope you, uh, I hope you, this works for you. Let me know if you try it out. would love to hear from you. Uh, take a picture of that. I'll see if I can't find some pictures uh, in the past. I'll put those up on the show notes as well. Anyways, let's move on to our feature presentation. 
And now it's time for our feature presentation. And on my feature presentation today, I'm talking about how Irma transformed my ministry. Now, I just got to tell you a couple things here, and I, I don't want to get into, you know, all of the things about Irma. I will tell you that for those of you who do not live in Florida, Irma did something in the state that I have never seen before, and that is it scared us to death. I mean, for the first time in my life, and, and I'm 40 years old now, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I am 40, but almost 41. I don't know where 40 has gone. It's gone by so fast. Anyways, so, I mean, people are just freaking out. I think there was probably five or six million people that left the state and they just moved up to Georgia, et cetera, and, and the surrounding states, uh, which coincidentally was funny because Irma blew right up into Georgia and caused a lot of havoc up there too. But... Um, I stayed. I stayed with my family because I felt very confident in my house and I'm inland. So I wasn't worried about storm surge. But I will tell you that one thing that I wasn't prepared for, and I wasn't prepared for the tornadoes that blew through. In fact, I heard a tornado go right down uh, the, the street of my house. I couldn't see it because it was pitch black. We had lost power. We were without power for an entire week, by the way. Um, but we were without power. And uh, so we could not see. I did not know. I just could hear the howling wind, and I fe- I heard this thing just go right down. It was it was a pretty scary thing, and we would hear uh, all kinds of power transformers popping all over the place, trees falling on houses, branches breaking, the wind howling. I mean, it was it was the most intense storm that I've ever experienced. And I will tell you, I was totally unprepared. Now I had plenty of water. But the area that I wasn't, where I wasn't prepared was in terms of light. I just, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I just didn't have any lights. I didn't have any flashlights. didn't have a generator. And so the only thing I could find, believe it or not, the only thing I could find were battery operated Christmas candles. <laughs> So we literally had these these Christmas candles with these little LED lights and the, you know the kind that you put in your window cells and um and that's all we had because that was the only thing I could find. I found batteries but I couldn't find lights and I had a few flashlights. Um but it, it it was it was pretty pitiful. So in the future, I know one thing I'm gonna do, and I already wrote this down, was that there's just a couple of things that I could think of in the future that I need. You know, the other thing I didn't have was a propane stove. And so the next day we didn't have any power and I was going to, and our, so our refrigerator went out. We're like, we need to cook some stuff. And my dad had this old kerosene stove that was like from the sixties. It was probably his original kerosene stove. And I lit it up and the sucker burned up my my Teflon frying pan. So I'm not even sure if it's even good now. Uh, that's just how lame I really was. You know, I joke around about, you know, being a cracker and a redneck. But the truth is, is I'm just such a suburbanite um, that when it really came to uh, any kind of survival training, it was, <laughs> I, I need my air conditioning. Anyways, I let me tell you what, what really just sort of stoked me, though was um, what really grabbed my attention was being a pastor in this situation. So, 
you know, in my, and I don't have a large parish. I don't, I don't have a small, I don't have a large church. We have about 50 people in my church. So small church, but I love it. And having a small church has its advantages because, hey, Grace Nation, I can sit here and take time to record a podcast with you. But, um, the advantage is, is that I could get to people. And so I started calling people and visiting people. And it was really through that process of connecting with people. I was able to build connections with people that I that were previously difficult to do only because now Hurricane Irma blew through and created needs. You know, this is one of the problems that we have in our society today. And that is, is that we've become so self-contained and so good at self-preservation that we don't share our needs with people. And if we really do have needs, most of us have enough money to go out and to get our needs met. But what happens when power is taken away? What happens when water is removed? What happens when air conditioning is removed? What happens when communications break down? Those were essentially the things that took place in Central Florida. Uh, Gasoline became a shortage. Um, Ice became a shortage because there was no power. Power itself was out and communications were down. And so suddenly the things that I had to do radically shifted. And so I had my cell phone, but I had no internet. So I had a, I've hired a virtual assistant and she lives in Tennessee. And so I got on uh, the phone with her and I said, I need you to find me a text messaging service so that I can send text messages out to all my people. And so I started using my cell phone creatively that way and was able to connect and develop an entirely new communications platform and leverage that in order to get messages out to people because literally we didn't even have a good way to communicate particularly if we had like internet-based phone systems so we went all to cell phones radically now i'll tell you where i've seen this happen and where i see a predominance of this model it's actually in third world countries where they old telephone line systems and the old cable systems um, that we sort of built our country on uh, you know, they didn't have those in third world countries, but they put up cell phone towers everywhere, everywhere. So and that was what happened uh, with me. It was like I suddenly just started working my phone. And you know what happened was I started calling people and also I just showed up and I just visited people. And this is and what I learned was I was like all these basic needs became immediate ministry points. And so I was able to really begin to connect with people and and. This is my main point, you know, that uh, I want to share with you today. Sometimes we overthink ministry. Sometimes, you know, you may be a very busy professional, and I have a heart for busy professionals because I know what it's like to be a busy professional. I know what it's like to have a corporate job where you're working 60, 65 hours, sometimes even 70 hours. God forbid that you work 70 hours, but I know what it's like to work 50, 60 hours you know, in a professional corporate environment. And I also know what it's like just to be working in a non-professional corporate environment, trying to string together a bunch of part-time jobs and just being busy all the time. And so the idea of ministry seems like that's overwhelming to us. But, you know, the thing that I learned about ministry from this week was simple. Look for people's needs. How can you solve a problem for them or meet their needs? 
You know, what's true in business is true in ministry. Jesus went out meeting people's needs and solving people's problems, and he ministered to them. And that's essentially what ministry is in of itself. I think that sometimes we forget that, you know, or, or what we assume is that ministry has something to do with transferring Bible knowledge. And that's just simply not true. The Bible is critical for us to understand how to relate to God, how to relate to each other. But it's not necessarily the only thing that we're to do in terms of, you know, in other words, we're not trying to transfer Bible knowledge every time we go out and minister. I got this, um, I got this uh, package in the mail because I'm a pastor. And so they send packages like to pass, uh, people send packages to pastors all the time. And it was all about how to take care of poor people and, 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 and reaching out to poor folks. And, you know, that's a critical ministry right there. But when you start getting involved with people who are poor, what you find and what you quickly discover is overwhelming need. But you don't have to just reach out to people that are poor. Every person has a need. The question is, how do you respond and do you know them well enough? And so in today's show, you know, one of the things that I just learned was that what Hurricane Irma did for me and my ministry was that it just allowed me to get into people's lives quickly because we all shared commonalities and common needs. And Grace Nation, one of the things that I think that is going to be so critical for us in the 21st century, and and I've talked about this, and and Brian Russell and I, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and that is is that if we're going to be ambassadors of the gospel, then we then we need to do this. And this is the way it was explained to me in in by our missionaries down in South America or Central America. They said this. They said, they said, Jonathan, when we go in to minister to a place, we bring two things. We bring the gospel in one hand and we bring bread in the other. In other words, it's always together. You're always bringing things together. That's why I spent a little bit of time today just sharing with you how to make some killer salmon. How to make, how do you make killer barbecue? How do you bring killer barbecue and the gospel together? You know, if we just if we just peeled back some of the complexities that we make out of the Christian faith and say you got to say this or do that or this or you know we need to contend for this and all this other stuff that goes on, you know, if we would just started being friendly with people, opening up our homes, having barbecues, making killer barbecue, making the best damn barbecue on the planet. You would be surprised at what happens in the relationships that you forge. And in the relationships that you forge, all you do is you bring the good news of Christ in your lives. This is what Hurricane Irma just sort of reinforced in my mind. And it transformed my ministry in such a beautiful way because this is what happened. So at the church, we lost power everywhere, including power at our main sanctuary. And, you know, we just moved into this place, and that was frustrating enough. But anyways, we moved in to this place a couple months ago, and now I had to find a different place. And so I called my mom and dad. My mom and dad in my childhood home, they still ha- they still live there. They have this big back porch, covered porch, you know, with this pool. Back in the day when you could afford things like this. And um, I said, you know, mom and dad, can we have church at your house? And so I brought my people over, and you know what I did? I smoked some barbecue. I made some barbecue chicken and I made um, some barbecue shoulder. And we had church. And you know what I saw? 
I saw people just coming together, fellowshipping, having a good time, and just sort of relaxing a bit after all the craziness took place. That, beloved, is church. It's not a building. It's the body of Christ coming together. And so I want to encourage you that whenever disasters happen, whenever, you know, things take place, look at those as opportunities and not look at those as opportunities to go proselytize somebody, but to look at those as opportunities to carry the gospel in, but make sure that when you carry the gospel into a person, make sure that you have bread in hand. And bread is nothing but a metaphor here that I'm using of helping people solve their problems or meet their needs. Beloved, I believe that's ministry in a nutshell. And beloved, that brings us to the end of this show. And and now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative Production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit mygracenation.com.